Welcome to USA Football's Coach and Coordinator Podcast, where top football coaches from around the country share their stories, philosophies, concepts, and strategies to help you get better on and off the field. Now, here's your host, Keith Grabowski. Welcome to another week of the Coach and Coordinator Podcast. I really appreciate how this thing has grown. We just hit over 3 million listens last week, so thank you to all our listeners. Thank you to our incredible guests. We're going to do something different here this week as we have this shutdown, and we have been five days a week, but I think as things slow to a halt here, every day is going to feel like another, so the weekend probably will not distinguish itself too much from the week. And so for that reason, we'll air episodes seven days a week until things get back to normal here. Welcome to the Coaching Coordinator Podcast. On today's episode, we are continuing the second part of our interview with Army's tight end coach, Matt Drinkle. We spoke with Coach Drinkle at USA Football's 2020 National Conference about how he designs his offense, his thoughts on tempo, and also the organization of your team. If you missed part one, you can check our channel to hear the beginning of our interview. And now, here is Coach Matt Drinkle. You know, you had a, a bullet on there. The best offenses are assembly line workers, not artists. Talk to us about that. Yeah, so, like, I kind of go into this spiel about it, but I've never drawn up a play in my life as far as, like, the creation of a play. And I don't know that there's – like, I, I think the hardest thing to do as an offensive coach right now is it's not what to run, it's what not to run. Mm-hmm. Because right now with, with huddle and – technology and Twitter and all that like it, the access to scheme is instant and more evident than it's ever been it's more accessible than it's ever been before I mean it mm-hmm. used to be hard like I was coach at Western Illinois in 07 yeah, hard you couldn't get people's tapes we were still like using VHS tapes in 07 like <laughs> right. people forget that but it was it was hard to get film and see the nuances now it's all instant and it's you know nationwide immediately from all levels so to me is one of the things I've always done that has helped me a lot is that I know what I'm looking for in an, in a chunk of my offense and I'm going to study and go hopefully clinic, but study the people that are already doing it really, really well and steal it. <laughs> so like whether that's Chip Kelly's inside zone or Gus Malzahn's gap game, whatever it is, like those guys have had more experience than me. They're smarter than I am. They've had infinite more resources than I've ever had access to. They've got the, the kinks ironed out already. You don't need to tinker with it or screw with it or screw it up. Just take what they do. And then what I'm really, really good at is being able to take two steps away and repackage it so it all fits right. under one blanket system. And I think that that's, you know, that, that's one of my frustrations is, you know, people come and they go, Oh well, hey Drinkle, like tell me how you show me how you run your your gap series, your counter power counter counter tray. And I go, oh, this is exactly how I teach it, and they go, okay, and then you check in with them four months later, and it's nothing like what you talked about. And I, you know, you go in there and you change this and you change that, and you change a couple more things, and then it's all screwed up. But then they're still attaching my name to it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You're just like, ah, don't say that, man. Like I gave you how I did it. It was that. It was simple. You're making it hard. Don't do that. So I think, like, to me, if whatever it is, if you're going to – if there are certain components, if you're going to go meet with North Dakota State and talk to them about their power, 
don't leave North Dakota State and then change the way that they block power. They've got it down. They got it. <laughs> no one's doing it better than they are. So I, to me, that's the – you don't need to be an artist. You don't need to reinvent the wheel. You don't need to, you know, be the crazy scientist in the laboratory all day. Take what people are doing, plug it into your stuff the same way they were doing it, and, and, and do it that way. Be an assembly line. I'm going to assemble, like I said, these components – Maybe, you know, maybe it's this part of the, this person's quick game, this person's drop back, this person's play action, this person's movement stuff, and this person's screens. And that, collectively, once I package it together, that's going to be my pass game. And that fits all the components, and I'm going to teach it just that exact same way. Yeah, and that leads me to probably my favorite slide that I've ever seen in a clinic presentation. You're, you're a big <laughs> watcher of, of The Office. And oh, yeah. So... There's, there's a quote you use that's kind of the measuring stick for, for this. So, The Office, one of the greatest TV shows of all time. The manager, Michael Scott's right-hand man is Dwight Schrute, who, hard worker, very loyal, not very socially plugged in. <laughs> and he said, whenever I'm about to do something, I think to myself, would an idiot do that? If they would, I do not do that thing. So... <laughs> I have to go, I use this a lot because I go, I'm the same as everybody else. You know, like I want there to be more. I want there to be something I thought of. I want to have an original thought. So I'll sit there and it, it happens every year. It happens to me at least twice in the spring and at least twice in the, in the fall where I'll sit there and I, oh, I got it. I got it. I, here's a screen we can run off of this or here's a way I can adjust the way we're, you know, working power read this week. And I pump the brakes and I think about that Dwight Schrute thing. quote, whenever I'm about to do something, I think, would an idiot do that? If they would, I do not do that thing. Like, everybody's been running the stuff I run forever. I'm about to do something stupid. I'm about to do something idiotic. And I talk myself out of it and I go right back to it. <laughs> so, like, and I can always tell, and, and no matter how hard I try, it's unavoidable. Like, you don't even know you're doing it sometimes. So here's the way I always find out. When the season gets over, you go on to huddle and you click your offensive play or the play family, you know what I mean, like your play right. series. I click on offensive play, and I sort by frequency. If there's something they're doing like less than 15 times in a season, it was probably stupid. Like right. you probably could just take away those reps of the three times you did this or the six times you did that and dump them into the play. Because everybody's got plays that they're averaging like 6.2 on or mm-hmm. 7.1. Just – why weren't you better off just running those, more of that exactly. and less of the stuff that you were trying to draw up and brainstorm? So my man Dwight Schrute still, even 10 years after the show has gone off, is <laughs> off the air, is still continuing to give me wisdom every day. But it's, I mean, it's like a joking, like that's the whole thing is the office is a satire. And like that's the beauty of the office is you have worked with every kind of the, one of those kinds of people that are represented on the show. And Dwight, as crazy as that sounds, like he's right. Like, if an idiot would do this, don't do it. And like, <laughs> I, unfortunately, most of my whole life is idiotic, but I tried really hard <laughs> to follow that and, and to avoid doing that. If something's good, steal it, do it, and do it their way. Yeah. So. And, and you talk about, you know, the dangerous words, right? To, to I guess, wrap up uh, your philosophy part of this, the dangerous words. Yeah. That you could what use. if? Okay, that's that is the the two scariest words you can ever think of in offensive football is the words "what if" and 
they happen on both sides of the coin. So if you got something rolling during a game, run it. Make them stop it. And you go, well, what if they adjust? Someone always inevitably goes, well, what if they adjust? Well, you can immediately counter that. What if they don't? Line up in five by none, unbalanced, and run at run at it. If they, you know, if they leave, you know, if they're a three-four defense and they're going to leave an open side end, an outside backer, a safety in a corner, weak away from that, or even move two of them over, you're still plus two in a count. Run at it. What if what if they what if they don't? So to me, don't assume anything when it, when you're in game. Make somebody show you that they're going to stop it, and and a play might not get it, but did it did it not work because? you didn't execute or because they've made a really good adjustment so that's one and the other part is when you've got something good that's a good foundation to your offense you can always go what if we do this what if we add what if we and you just it's it all starts with what if and you go ah like bring me bring data that can support it what if is the scariest thing in the world to me because you, you never go like I think of like scientists trying to come up with like a like a cure for a disease. It's like X, Y, Z. They have a very linear thinking of the way they attack things. Like an engineer, an architect. Like there's a right way to do it. There's a process. There's a procedure. They don't just go. Well, what if? And they just start throwing out crazy, ridiculous ideas with no evidence to support them whatsoever. <laughs> And a lot of people do that when you're building an offense. You just, oh, what if we do this? What if we try that? What if we have, and you just, ah. Like, to me, those are the two scariest things is keep yourself on track before the game ever even starts by avoiding what if. And once you get on track in a game, stay on track by avoiding the term what if. And you're in really good shape if you do those two things. So that takes us to the, the next component, which is design. And, you know, a, again, for you, it's not – you're not going to come out here and be a Picasso with this thing. It's, as you said, kind of that assembly line philosophy mentality in how you're going to design your offense. Yeah, to me, like, that's the hardest pieces is there's really, I think, three, as far as the design goes, if you think of it as like columns, there's three columns that you can build an offense with. There's everything that can happen before the play starts, which is personnel groupings, tempos, formations, movements. There's everything before you call hike. Okay, that's one column. Second column and third column are post-snap. One is how you're going to run it. The third one is how you're going to throw it. So when you design your offense, how are you going to – do you have enough stuff that fits your personnel – and that covers each situation that's going to come up in a game. And I think the number one thing people lose sight of is that there's about five different variables that impact the way every play you run is executed. If you want to line up in pro and run power, or you, and you want to line up in pro and throw flood, every one of those snaps that you run is defended differently and executes differently based on down, distance, score, time, field position, weather, personnel. So it's not as easy as just going, oh, we got a bunch of reps running power. Power, when you got it at first and 10 at your own 20, is totally different than third and one at your own four or first and goal at at their two. Those are all defended completely different, even though it might be the exact same personnel grouping, the exact same formation, the exact same play call. 
the, the way that that play is executed and defended are completely different. So to me is that you, that's where you start to, you have to get some questions answered. And, and no, no two people should ever be the exact same because it goes back to what are your best 11, who are your best 11 players, what do they do well, does my staff have the knowledge and time to teach it? And that's different for every two teams in America at every level. Right. So I think that's, a, you know, making sure that you have enough stuff with, not enough stuff, but like having enough and not having too much of those things. Tempos, personnel packages, formations and movements, whether that be a motion or shift. And then, hey, here's what I'm going to carry in the run game. This is what I'm going to carry in the pass game. Like the pass game to me is the easiest part. I have, like I'm the dumbest pass game person you'll ever clinic with ever we throw it pretty good because we don't overcook anything you know what i mean we don't have the answer to every single thing on the planet earth already drawn up there's some core things that we do and believe in that were really really simple for us so to me like there's only five ways you can legally throw a ball in a game quarterback can throw it quick he can drop back in the pocket and throw it he can play action he can sprint out and he can throw a screen in my brain, unless I'm missing something, quick, drop back, play action, sprint out and screen. There's only five ways somebody can throw it. So to me, it was, you know, making sure that you're, you know, play action from inside the pocket, play action from outside the pocket. Okay, well, how many times it, then it goes into the organization as far as, like, how often you're right. going to do those things. But there's only five ways you can throw it. If you're, if you're throwing quick four times a game, do you really need 12 different concepts? You need those to win, or is it cool to have them and throw twice on the year and go one for, you know, throw it three times on the season, go one for three and go, did I need that? So to me, is it's it's those three columns and building your offense within those three as far as the design of it. Right. The, you know, you and I talked yesterday, and we were looking at, I showed you some cut-ups too, we were looking at using tempo. Again, you know, you hear a lot of teams, we're just going to go fast. And you see the other teams are going to huddle and go slow. And you hear the multiple tempo teams. But to me, you know, this is part of the structure. It needs a philosophy. Uh, it, it does end up being, you know, and I think about how we used our tempo, something part of the culture, too, of what you're doing. But uh, I think for some people, an underutilized tool. There's a big misunderstanding with tempo is that when you say tempo, I don't know, whoever, they just people think, people associate the word tempo with speed. Yeah. Like, and by speed, I mean fast speed. And really, I don't, when I hear the word tempo, I think about a rhythm, the rhythm that your offense is going to attack a defense. And there's all kinds of rhythms to do it. I wish that had been the first word that people used right. so that that was kind of associated with it. But it's the rhythm of which you're going to attack it. And there's some people, like Army, when we play Michigan, our rhythm better be to huddle and snap it with one or two on the play clock all the time. That gives us the best chance of winning. If you play Michael Jordan one-on-one, play him to one, not 25. Like that, your chances of winning are better. If there's, you know, consequently, if I was playing against us, you know, there's things that you want to do to, you probably want to go a little faster early on to try to get points on the board early or maximize your possessions so the game at least feels familiar to your kids for at least a half of it. But whether that's huddle or sugar huddle, you know, quick huddle, the, the quick huddle where you huddle up, break, and run up the line of scrimmage, what we talked about yeah, you use right. and how the way you saw it, like, blew my mind yesterday as far as that being like a – that basically can replace, like, quick tempo if, if you're having trouble with personnels and, and officials. 
being a, slowing you down. But then there's you can no huddle with wristbands. You can no huddle where you signal everything. You can no huddle with boards. You can look tempo. There's all kinds of different rhythms to attack, and it's about figuring out the one that gets you into the game that's really, really that are most valuable. Now, I will say this with rhythms. I think I always liken it like this. It's like to me, I've never played an organized snap of baseball in my life, and you couldn't pay me money to watch a baseball game. So if, <laughs> if this is crazy, it's because I'm an idiot, and I accept that. But I, I think of it like like I grew, I'm 37, so I grew up when like the Braves were really good. And the Braves were really good. I know nothing about baseball, so bear with me. Now, I, I will dominate anybody in Super Nintendo, Ken Griffey Jr. baseball. I was very, very good at that, 95, 96. But, like, the Braves were really good. And the Braves were really good because they had an awesome pitching staff. They're like, they had uh, Smoltz, Maddox, right. two other guys that were really good. I can't remember their names, but that was their whole deal. Was their pitching staff was good. And I remember Greg Maddox, like, that was his, he was kind of like the alpha of the group, and he had different pitches. So, like, no matter what you're doing, if you played those guys in like a three-game series, you were having to go against totally different kinds of pitches and pitchers, and that made it really hard on you. So I think as far as tempo and rhythm is concerned, if you do one thing always, you become very, very easy to defend. Whether if you go really, really fast or you only go really, really slow or if you're doing one thing all the time. So kind of the magic number I've always worked with in my head was three. If you can do, like, so I'll tell you the three I use all the time. I will go at a, I'm no huddle always, but I will go at like a regular rhythm. Nothing crazy. There are things that I use that let us go like ultra light speed fast, where our goal is to snap the ball fast. Now, my regular rhythm was to get to the line of scrimmage as quickly as possible. It wasn't to snap the ball quick, right. but I wanted to threaten to snap the ball quick. So it forced the defensive kids to get a call in, which is probably more vanilla, to not be thinking about personnel, to not be thinking about formation, not be thinking about down distance, just, hey, here's my own call, and i got to line up, get my hand on the ground, and be lined up. I could care less if the quarterback takes 17 seconds from there once you're all lined up. I, it was to get you into more vanilla stuff. So that was my regular tempo. But then we could jump into, like, light speed where we were trying to snap it as quick as we can, physically as quick as we can, and then where our look tempo, which was get on the ball very, very quick, and then turn and look and get a play. So the three, the reason I settled on those three was I thought three pitches was enough. I thought that they all matched and and had that they all matched each other. You didn't know which one you were going to get when we went to line up. You didn't know were we going to snap it, were we going to wait, were we going to turn and get a new play. And this is, I think, the most important part is having a system that organically allows you to go in between and flow between them very easily. You know, I, I think one of the things I did a really good job of as a coach in 18 was two things. We had a transfer quarterback who was a really good player, but not a film junkie at all. Like, dude's bouncing off the wall. He's like a five-year-old. Like, when I see people who have five-year-old kids, it's like he was like that. But he was really athletic. He could throw on the run. He could extend plays. So I felt that I had an obligation to him to put him in a situation where he could do that as, as off, more often than not. Right. Where I didn't need to have the perfect play dialed up. I needed to put him in a situation where he could do those things. So as a result, I was, there were times where I was a little bit faster and a, little bit, and a lot more simpler than I even normally am just to let him go be good. I finally had a good player. I'm not going to let that guy go play for a while. I think the Ravens did a great job of that this year. And the other thing I did was that if you we, – we, I think the thing that put us over the hump from 
you know, into the 50s, averaging into the 50s, and we scored over 70, I think five or six times. We were going super, super fast. We transitioned at some point towards the end of a series, and we were and we didn't change personnel to do it. So we were running reps for us against vanilla calls, against tired defenses, running this day one install plays where I wasn't trying to like get into a goal line package and I wasn't trying to have the perfect play call. It was just, man, I, I use the fatigue part, the, the lack of you know your ba- seeing your base defense and us being prepared for those as those were the variables in my brain that affected the way we would execute the play. And those, that it did, it led mm-hmm. to higher execution and we ran power more than it was just hard to fit by the, the right. by some of those things at the end. So the the rhythm, you know, Gus Malzahn's a big quick huddle guy. Rich Rodriguez was a big sugar huddle guy when I in 06 when I first when I was at Western Illinois and we were breaking down all of his stuff. Like they were a big sugar huddle team. So again, going back to doesn't matter like the plays you run, the rhythms are different as well. Right. Like the, the way that people can incorporate those and use those, and that that's the one thing I've gotten better at in my career was I have a very bad tendency. I speak in hyperboles, so I like say always and never and best and worst, and it's hard unless you know me to know what the hell I'm actually <laughs> trying to say. <laughs> uh, but like, I've done such a better job as I've gotten older of of not thinking my opinion is right. Yeah. I've, uh, you know, the the access to film and information has helped me more than anybody because I can I have been forced to see that there are so many good ways to do stuff, and now that's what forced me to dial it back. Was you just your eyes get huge? It's like going to the convention for the first time. You're like, ah, I'm going to be coaching at USC in no time. When you get into coaching, like, I'll be co- I'll be the head coach in Notre Dame in what three or four years, and then you go to the convention for the first time and you see. 12,000 coaches and you're like oh my god it's a miracle I even have a job like it's the same thing like I I was forced and saw all this good stuff people are doing you're like oh my god it's a miracle I just don't punt on every possession like there's so many smart people out there right and I think the the really good ones or successful ones can be flexible and 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 be adapt to change Mm -hmm. and the change isn't with trends it's just to fit it's to fit your own staff and to fit your own personnel and your league and those things you know uh, I think those that's just so paramount to success yeah I I like you know how you think of, of tempo and, and I agree it has to be simple now so this will sound crazy but and I, I wrote a book on it and it, it has video showing the example I showed you some of the video yesterday too we we basically categorized tempo into it was into six. It was fast, faster, fastest, and slow, slower, slowest. And within there, you know, 20, 20 tools, procedural tools, little variations, tweaks. You know, we, they were really procedures rather than tempo. But it all really had to do with how the play was getting in and some of the things we were going to do to to uh, how fast it could be run. So something as simple as giving the signal for run it again. Or flip the formation and run it again, right? Those kinds of things. As we looked at it, and, and we started to think about, you know, using tempo in waves. Go fast, slow down. Go fast, slow down. Reasons to, to speed it up too. And I, I know you you talked about some of those in your your presentation. But as we started to mix and marry these tools, we game planned them. So there was no way we were using. 20. Yeah, absolutely. We, you got we, access. We were to probably going to use, you know, maybe. 
total of five, maybe. And some of those were going to be used for certain situations. So we actually, it was always part of the, the play call. We never called a play without a tempo attached to it. Our players just understood that as part of the play call. And we thought about it, game planned it that way. And, you know, I showed you a couple series where we were using that and creating the, the counters to it, like the counter, the, the procedure. There was a counter to the procedure, like, like we would think yes. about a run play. Like there was a counter to it, which was just completely messing people up because it, it's like throwing that guy a fastball, fastball, fastball. All of a sudden a curve comes and he, he was sitting fastball. He's like, what, the, what just happened? You know? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I showed you, you know, oh, the one tool we had was three-play sequence. And usually we would ramp up into that three-play sequence. If we found ourselves uh, going fast, 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 then we would, you know, usually be on a, a first down, go in, you know, we'd pick up a first down, go three-play sequence, signal it in. The players knew what it was. They went the first play, looked at the sideline, either go or no-go to continue with it. The third, I mean, I showed you, like, the chains are not even set. I mean, the ball spotted, we're going as fast as possible. And the defense thinks they're seeing, man, these guys just ran the ball four times in a row. They got to be calling run again because they got the play in so fast. And you, I showed you a safety in a corner oh, fitting yeah. run and leaving the receiver running junior high open for a touchdown. Not because they were a bad team or bad players, but we it was it was Pavlov's dog. We were ringing the bell, ringing the bell, ringing the bell. <laughs> that's exactly right. Your rhythm. Yes. You know, what I mean, that, that's a great way to do it. We're, we we jump into some three play series stuff here, and then evolved a little bit later in the year to some, some more uh, a similar way to how I was able to use uh, you know a, a quicker rhythm. Uh, at points in time, so I'm curious to see how we do in the spring with some of those yeah. those pieces. But the other, the other part too that you don't even talk about, like rule changes. Yes. Rules change all the time. Yeah, yeah. I, I mentioned that to you when we had first. You know, yeah, come the up personnel with some of our, our fast faster tempos. Nobody was standing over the ball. You know that hadn't become you know a, a rule change for the officials to officiate the game that way, so we could get our guys on and off the field really fast and line up and go right yeah. and so you're in and we would do things that would drive you crazy like personnel from a 12 to a 12 <laughs> like one group of tight ends came in and another came super, in. <laughs> i like that that's smart i mean like i would use it where you know coaching at not division one you see some division one transfers so if i'm playing somebody and they got a transfer dn from mississippi state that dude goes out to get water. He's not coming back in the rest of that series. <laughs> right. I'm going to keep him staying right. my personnel, and we're going to go a million miles exactly. an hour because I want to run as many plays as I can against not that dude. Right. And I think that, you know, like all the plays work better when Jimmy's can block the Joes. Oh, absolutely. It, it, you know, that was where you mentioned, you know, that I showed you how we were using Gus's uh, sugar yeah. huddle, which became – my frustration in, in being no huddle and changing personnel was I was just showing the defense what I was doing forever as the official stood over the ball. So this is not tempo at all, and I'm being forced to play slow. When you did it, did you burst the line first or did you burst the receivers first? So we would, you know, we usually were uh, splits to either side. So those guys would go out in a line, and everybody else on the interior of the, the other nine guys were bursting out of the huddle I like and, that. and we had to figure out like we wanted to be the as quick as we could like how do we stand in this huddle 
right? Like, where do we stand? How do we get the plan? When do we break it? So it became like a, a, I mean, the kids understood the procedure. Here's how we have to do this for this to be effective. Like, and it, it was, you know, we put them on the clock. I think it was, it, we wanted it snapped in four and a half, even if we were using some kind of motion. Because so I, the, the, what were we going at? You Exactly. You I've never done the quick huddle, but you know what I think I would do? Or I would at least... Again, here, okay, I'm doing it right now. This is it. I've never seen anyone do it. This is where I'm about to do the, I'm about to say the idiotic thing. <laughs> I've always wondered, and maybe somebody does do this, but I haven't seen it, but like, I've always wondered why you don't deepen the huddle up to like, let's say seven, but everyone faces it and the quarterback stands behind, also facing. So as your commute, as the quarterback, he can get the play. As he's communicating it to the 10 other players, you're looking already over at the defense and what you're seeing. You've just done it wrong. Is your stuff's if your stuff, everybody codes their stuff anyway. It's not like he's got to scream it. But I've always wondered why people don't, why you got to like see it in your head and then reverse out and turn around. And where do you put everybody in the huddle? If you're just kind of aligned, like center guard tackle, the skill guys behind, and as I'm hearing the quarterback say, what's quarterbacks looking at what I'm seeing? The skill kids are looking at what you're seeing. You got it. And if there's one or two kids that give away how they're going to align you already kind of are going to get a preview of it beforehand yeah well i mean because i think when we were in high school we used to do it that way like it was the open huddle yeah right? we, we did it that way in high school until my senior year and then we got in a regular one where we flipped it and it was brutal yeah like having my back to it yeah. and then you're trying to figure it out and run around i told you i'm not a very bright <laughs> I never guy thought I was, about that that was hard how, how difficult that might be for transitioning for for learning why got some guys might screw that up uh, that was to, hard on me as a player around. But yeah, the, I haven't seen an open huddle in forever. And people in the quarterback just stand in the back instead of the front, and then he's able to, as he's calling it, you know. Yeah. Trips right, sixty-eight sprint. Right, right. You know, whatever. The the thing, I mean, with that, as we as we talked about it, that sugar huddle. All I was doing is is if if I wanted to have the effect of going fast, if I didn't allow them to have, you know referee standing over the ball 10 12 seconds to recognize make their calls get set up i didn't want that i wanted it to yeah, be quick you, like we were going super when you fast. said yesterday that you had like you gave them like x amount of time mm-hmm. i'm not saying it because i don't know if that's like a thing out you want people to know but you had x <laughs> amount of time for them to get broke and get the ball snapped then it turns into an up-tempo quick it's the, it's the same it's philosophy the same i never thought defense. about it like that but i thought that was genius well it and, you know, the, the one place we used it, I mean, we were deficient in personnel. We knew that. And we had to be, like, you know, an army waiting to one second. And, you know, one of the tempos was you guys stand in that sugar huddle till it's this time on the play clock, and then you could break it. So now I had the effect of milking the clock with the effect of a fast tempo these guys lined up quick because I'm still lining up quick and make forcing them to recognize yeah, and adjust absolutely. quickly but I also milk the clock so again do you have to do that I think I'm just trying to throw these ideas out here that you know there's different ways you could think about it and use it and you know again do we do we all settle in on one thing and, and maybe you just go back to would an idiot do that I don't know <laughs> but but there's a lot of options in you know, with all this stuff, I think you'll agree with the design of it. And you said it is an assembly line. But what becomes the art of it is you're very smart about how you put it together. And it becomes uniquely your system then. Yes. Because as you said before, no two teams are going to be alike. We might have all the exact same plays in our playbook, 
Correct. there's going to be things about how we do that that make it uniquely our system, even though we didn't invent a single play within that. Playbook. Exactly. And going back to like the idiot part, like that's why, like I rec- like I recognize my whole career how good under center option is. It's really hard to defend. But I had never coached in that system in my life. And no one on my staff had ever coached in that system in their lives. So I was smart enough to know, like, man, you can't just go buy these. I can't go buy these three DVDs and go talk to one guy one time and go, oh, I got it, and now I'm going to run it. And then, so I never did it. And then when I got to Army and around these guys who had been around Paul Johnson and these guys had been together at Georgia Southern and and they had so much success then you in the mastery of it and you go i was right like thank god i didn't do that because it's laughable like you have to like these guys don't have like a high school diploma in this stuff they have right. like yeah. four doctorates in it <laughs> and it's just that made me it it made me feel good cuz it validated i didn't know there was no way i was going to know what the hell i was talking about so it's been it, i can't tell you how cool it's been to just to just to learn yeah. you know what i mean it's it's you know as for every time you get frustrated because you're not in charge you're not the head coach you're not calling the plays or whatever it's not your stuff it's still this is an opportunity every day for me it's an opportunity to learn and to continue to get better and when push comes to shove like my tight ends are gonna have to base block a guy my tight ends are gonna have to you know scoop and cut guys off on the backside right. and you know crack block people on the perimeter and you do that in every offense. So right. when it gets down to those components of it, it's still football, still football. And I think that's been that's been a very uh, refreshing and yet eye-opening experience for me since I've been here. Yeah, and, you know, you, you wrapped it up with that last section of organization. And, you know, you kind of have talked about some of these things too. I mean, really that I think starts with a realization that there's a finite number yes. of snaps in a game – in a season and a practice and I mean that has to be almost the overriding factor that helps you organize this that's it so the organization piece comes down to this you have to be able to justify what you're carrying so I do that two ways is one is I look at your your like you go you you look at those three columns okay your the structure of your offense what that's all the stuff that happens pre-snap your runs and your passes and again, pass plays, quick, drop back, sprint out, play action screen. Run game, everybody has a little bit of variance, but you think about your inside runs, your outside runs, your mm-hmm. cue runs, any option runs, whatever those are. You know, and I count like those like behind I count some of the RPO stuff as runs. If the O line is blocking a run, to me that should go in your run category. Mm-hmm. So you get down into those situations. So then you figure out what you called total. Okay. So to be able to justify, okay, we're in this amount of this, these personnel groupings, these many snaps. Our inside run game, zone gap, whatever it is, and, and you figure it out what your totals are, and then you divide those by however many games you, you played in, so you figure out about how many times a game am I in these things. So I knew for me, I'll just use my old offense, was I threw quick. Quarterback caught it and threw it 4.6 times a game. I carried zero quick passing concepts those came for me he triggered the ball out in some of the run game stuff screens we're 1.2 screens a game i've been as high as 1.8 screens a game i have one screen in my playbook Mm -hmm. that i ran because i can't justify doing more the best one i can explain is like like sprint out i sprint out 4.6 to 4.8 times a year like clockwork i carry two sprint out plays 
two different pass plays that I sprint out to. One protection, two plays. Because if I'm lucky enough, I get to run them each twice. Mm-hmm. Out of all the personnel groupings and all the motions and all the formations that you could have, you do them the play twice. So I can't justify carrying six or seven of those things. So that part of it's easy to do, but then you have to take each of those things, and that gives you a kind of you want to whittle it away. So, all right, this is how many times in the past game I'm doing this, so I can justify carrying, and then you this is where you kind of end up having to add on. So to me, you want to strip it down as bare as you can. That gives you a really good foundation, and then where you kind of make on the finishing touches are you look at the situations. So you figure out your down and distance situations. How many times am I in first and 10 or something other than first and 10 a game? Second down, short, medium, long, extra long. Third down, short, medium, long, extra long. And then you have to do them by field zone. So like, you know, take the last year I was there, I backed up, it was half of a snap a game. So I spent almost no time. Right. I didn't have to add anything special. Right. No go under center, run cues knee. It was only going to happen to me one out of every two games anyway. Just run power, run inside zone, get, get the ball out of there, sprint out, do something, get out, get the ball out. But goal line plays inside the 10-yard line. I only had six a game. So you have to spend, le- you know, you don't have to – I don't need 12 different plays, concepts to run inside the 10 when I only have 10 total snaps anyway to run. So to me, that, that that's where you look at it. And one of the, like, glaring things that the, the next thing I need to address – is after we were really good in 18, you go and look at these numbers. I was in second and extra long, second long or more, so second and seven or longer, 13, 12 times a game. So that means on first down, however many you get, 30 of them, 30, I was having 30.4 first downs a game. So on almost half of my first downs resulted in me being in second and long or second and extra long. That is not okay. Right. So I needed to go back and figure out, like, and I know what it was. I went back and looked, and it was I was trying to get too cute. And instead of me getting into something convertible, I thought I had something when I didn't. I took way too many shots and chances on first down, which was stupid and reckless. And that is an area that we were extremely inefficient and ineffective at that we need to be better. Because, against, if you're playing somebody really good in the playoffs – you're probably if you're if you're kicking butt, you're 28 first downs a game. I can't afford to be in 14 of my first downs end up in second and a million. So that that was one huge area, that, and some of that stuff just gives you automatically your feedback. So now you can add in your, you know, I talked earlier in the podcast about if you do something less than 15 times, you probably can get rid of it. Well, these are the outliers where right. You know, man, you might need to have some stuff for two-point conversions or like a pass that's really good inside the five-yard line, you know, like sprinting to the, you know, star concept that everybody runs and Mm -hmm. you pick the guy and all that stuff. So, to me, that's it. You have to be able to justify what you're running and how much you're running it. And you do it by play frequency first and then you – cross-reference those with the situations that you're going to run into by down a distance and field zone and it basically gives you a printout of what you need to be doing like you're going to run the ball inside 21 times a game you don't need to run inside zone and power and iso and option and midline and veer you know i mean you're just you run out of reps so to me is that, that that has always been a thing that has guided me that has helped me immensely and I 
it's like throwing bad stuff out of your fridge. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Stuff that's expired. It's it's, it's spring cleaning. It's yeah. the same concept. You do it everywhere else. No one does it on offense. You know what I mean? You do right. it in other parts of your life. Right. You know, well, get rid of old video games or yeah. old CDs or movies, and you take stuff to you goodwill. You want to be a hoarder. Yeah. You, <laughs> that's it. You don't want to, like, people look at those shows, the people, and they're oh, they're animals. How do they live like that? They're, rats are crawling around in there. And you got that same bum, you know, run one run play you've been running for three times a year since 1991. It's the same thing. You don't want to be a hoarder. That is perfectly said. Yeah, I I, I did a study like that. It was it was after our 2003 season, and I was the high school level OC. I ended up that year the coach retired, and I became the head coach the next season. But we had spent then, you know, we did that study, and I, I came to him and showed him like, look, here's the thing. I know you love all these things, but I can't see what is our base run game in this. Like I, the numbers will not tell me that. Like we need to look at what we're doing. That's where we evolved to using like the zone running game. We, we spent that off season going out and learning, it. and that's what you know we we jettisoned a lot of it. We we had you know I, I wrote a book about you know that experience and in, in um, you know where we put the zone offense in. On, on an iBook, and I talked about our, our security blanket run. So, I, you know, we talked about it, and like, okay, these, I still got to keep these. And so they were there, and, and actually by year two of, of running that offense, um, there was only one of those left. You know, I think we started with three, it went down to one. And, and then I think a year later, we got rid of that last one and said, this is what we're going to do. And it's, it's that process of, of looking at it. You know, season to season to put to structure your offense and what's going to be in your playbook. But then, you know, the, the game plan too is driven that way. And I, I learned that by studying what Bill Walsh and Brian Brian Billick wrote a, a great book on it. A very quick read, but talked about you know that exact same kind of process to figure out how much you need to carry. And that when you look at it, you go back through. There should be only be a I forget what his number was. You know, but a limited percent of overage where here's what we practiced all week long what what didn't get used and it better have those answers like well this was a situation yeah, it just didn't come up or, or whatever it might be otherwise you got to go back to it and say well we invested all that practice time those reps into it and I told you yesterday like that led me to I, I worked in, in in manufacturing out of, of college and I was coaching high school ball but then eventually said I want to go be a teacher and coach after a few years but I learned how to use Excel then at the time <laughs> and so I put together a spreadsheet where and it was all built off of, of Brian Billick's um, book of here's our calls and I think I told you it was like yeah. 32 I believe and some some of it was situational whatever but that's all the room we had on our game plan because that's all the room we had in our practice script and either I had a, a philosophy of I wanted to run a certain amount of, of reps of every play, and I would take into account, you know, the cumulative reps over the season, but, you know, that drove it. It became a, a, a really good exercise for us that we, we had to, guys, that's it. No one more. Like, you want this, then what goes out and why? And it helped us just from a thought process. It helped us be very concise in our, our planning our play calling and the best part is you know using the excel is once we put it on we call it the game plan board once we put it on the game plan board the whole week 
the call sheets and the wristbands were, were auto-generated yeah, too. That's so so no that typos, saved like, uh, I don't know how many hours. For the way I would look at a practice script, I wasn't just throwing stuff down. So I think it saved me, you know. You have to email 12, me this. 12, yeah, I will. It's, I, it saved me like 12 hours a week, I believe. And, and I mean, it was the simplest of things. There was no magic formulas. It wasn't that difficult to use. But, you know, because what, what I thought about was when I looked at practice, it was it was all about a certain amount of reps versus a certain amount of looks. We even put the, the defenses into it so that we would get those those um, looks too. And oh, that's super smart. Yeah, the but that had to drive it. Like our practice, you know, what are we going to practice? What are we going to invest in? And then you know, going back afterwards and, and saying we decided on this, why didn't we use it? You know, understanding that too. I, I don't think you know coaches do that enough where they go back. They go back and look at all the stuff that was successful, but they don't go back and ask those questions about why didn't I call this, you know? <laughs> and it, when you start to think about it that way, you know, when you get into those long Saturdays and saying we should do this or that or I got this idea, and you, 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 you say, yeah, but you know what? I'm not going to call it and we're not going to rep it enough this week. So it's one of those things. Would an idiot do that? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, so I mean, that's to me, you know, again, how we started that that you know segment here on the organization. It's it's all about reps. Well, we we rebuilt it before the eighteen season. I sat down with our defensive coordinator John Micheletti, who's now the defensive coordinator and associate head coach at uh, Mount Marty, where they're starting up football. And we sat down before the eighteen season, and it was his second year as the defensive coordinator. And I said, listen, we got 11 regular season games. Nine of them are one back offset gun. That's who we're going to play. Yeah. Rebuild it to defend that. And he did. And we not only scheme-wise fit, it fit what we needed to do. And then we were able to go out and recruit and get guys in the right spots that were going to have to attack those kinds of offenses. And we had as we were dynamite on defense and, you know, went undefeated in the regular season went all the way to the final four and and played really really well defensively in every game and john was the assistant coach of the year and for two years in a row now and and, you know moving on and up and he's a smart smart guy to like be able to sit back and go through but we did kind of you know i he's kind of following the same principles defensively as you know like i hate trick plays and i hate i'm scared to take shots and stuff like that he's the same way you don't like pressure and was six very often yeah. and all that stuff so he's uh hopefully it'll be good for him to, for me and him to get away from each other for a few years so he doesn't end up exactly like me who's old and decrepit and scared scared <laughs> to do try anything well it's, that'll have to be another conversation where we talk about <laughs> trick plays because we we systematize that too and how we thought about it and practice it but we'll get into that another time i know i gotta let you go because you're gonna have to go here and give your talk here in a few minutes but I can't tell you how much I appreciate you taking the time to come out here, taking time to sit down with me. And for our coaches out there, make sure you follow him on Twitter. One of the best followers on Twitter. It's at, at Drink All Coach. I'm entertaining and informative. He should be a social media guru, but uh, <laughs> does a great job with that. But Matt, again, I, I truly appreciate it. And, you know, it's been exciting to watch you just, you know, make your moves in this profession and you know have the success you're having and you know best wishes for continued success in your Man, career. Man, I appreciate that a ton and, and I, mean, I can't thank you enough for all the opportunities you've given me and, and to not only be on the podcast but to come here and talk at this and and learn from you and, and 
it's just been awesome. So if you haven't been to a USA football clinic, this is my very first one. I've been to the camps, which are awesome. They're my favorite camps, but the football clinic is first class and everything that happens here. So if you get a chance, make sure you get out to them. And this is awesome. But thank you again so much for having me. Thank you for tuning in to the Coaching Coordinator Podcast. Please don't hesitate to like, subscribe, and leave a five-star review for our podcast on iTunes. Also, don't forget to check out our systems for skill development in blocking, defeating blocks, and tackling at footballdevelopment.com. Follow us daily on Twitter for content and interaction at FBDEVCoach. Follow me on Twitter at Coach K Grabowski. And be sure to check out X's and O's analysis at blogs.usafootball.com. Thanks for listening to USA Football's Coach and Coordinator Podcast. For more resources, visit the Coach Performance Center at usafootball.com.